Policy Matters is produced by Aegon and Transamerica's Global Government and Policy Affairs team. We're based in Washington, D.C., as well as The Hague in the Netherlands. Hello and welcome back to Policy Matters, the podcast that examines the intersection of Aegon and Transamerica's business strategy with public policy issues at the state, federal, and international levels. My name is Maurice Perkins, head of Aegon's Global Government and Policy Affairs team. In this episode, we're going to shed some light on the recent elections in the Netherlands, which took place in mid-March, and there's nobody better to hear from on this topic than Sebrin van Terwijska, head of Aegon's European Government and Policy Affairs team. Sebrin helps to manage our policy team in Europe, which closely monitors all regulatory activity in the Netherlands, Brussels, and across a few other European countries where Aegon operates. Prior to joining our team at Aegon, Sebrin worked for the Netherlands Ministry of Finance. He was born and raised in the Netherlands and has a keen passion and understanding for Dutch politics, which makes him the ideal expert for today's conversation. Thanks again, and let's have a listen. Hi, Sebrin. Thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. How have you been? Good, uh, and good to uh, to hear you again. It's been um, uh, it's an interesting uh, time of the year because we have, as you know well, so many school holidays. So we had another one last week. So I was out with the family and uh, that was a good break. Uh, so I'm doing well, actually. So Sebrin, let's jump right into it. Today, we really want to focus on elections outside of the United States and what happened in the Netherlands on March 17th with your parliamentary elections. It's a great topic. We know how much the Netherlands means to Aegon being based there. And it cannot be underestimated how important, really, the U.S.-Netherlands relationship is. It dates back to 1782. And thought I'd pull out an old quote from President Ronald Reagan in the early 1980s, where he literally said, this is the longest unbroken peaceful relationship that we've had with any other nation. So it cannot get any better than that. So what happened on the 17th of March? Yeah, goodness, uh, where to start? And, and, and a great introduction, um, uh, nothing to add there. Um, maybe before we start talking about what happened on the, the 17th of March, maybe it's good to expand a little on how the Dutch political system uh, works. And, uh, and of course, there are uh, many differences between the system um, that we see, and as we know it, in the US and the Netherlands. But there are actually, I think, a, a number of similarities as well. But as so in a way, as you have uh, the Senate and the House of Representatives um, and the executive branch, in, in a way, we, we have something similar. Uh, so we, we have a parliament uh, comprising two houses. Uh, we have a, um, a Senate as well. And the Senate comprises 75 members elected by uh, representatives of the, the provinces. So they are not very active. Um, well, actually, they are very active, but uh, I think the, um, uh, they're not necessarily in the eye of the storm, to put it like that. Because what is in the eye of the storm is uh, the House of Representatives, as, as we know it in, in the Netherlands, also referred to as the lower house. And that is really where, now in a way, the, uh, the magic is. And, um, and the lower house comprises 150 uh, members, and those are really elected by uh, by the people. Uh, and that is what we uh, we saw on uh, March 17. And then we have an executive body as well, which we oftentimes refer to as the Cabinet of Ministers. And that Cabinet of Ministers is also led by a first minister or a prime minister. So in a way, we, we have these three uh, arms. And again, uh, the, the lower house uh, and the members of um, uh, thereof were elected on uh, March 17. Yeah, it, it was a um, it was an uh, interesting ride, and uh, and maybe just also to it's, it's, I think it's worthwhile also for our, our listeners to to highlight that 
something happened actually in the run-up to the elections. Um, as you know, the cabinet of ministers of, of the, the previous administration uh, actually resigned. And that had to do with a scandal over childcare benefits. And that really was a, a big thing that was already cooking for some years. And uh, it kind of erupted at the beginning of this year. And uh, the cabinet of ministers, including the prime minister, Mark Rutte, um, yeah, saw no other way to actually resign because uh, yeah, there was a huge outrage of how the government actually uh, treated citizens who were accused of fraud uh, and they had to repay uh, their benefits received. Um, and as a result of that, yeah, some of them actually had to sell their houses. It was really a big thing. And so that um, that happened only weeks before the elections, and uh, that of course was really an input also for the elections. Now and then on March 17th, the election itself, uh, yeah, of course it was uh, it's COVID time, so it was a little different. Um, it was spread over three days, and we saw some queues, and of course also the elderly had uh, the possibility to uh, vote by uh, by um, uh, uh, on paper. So if I if I talk about the the outcome of the election itself, the I don't think actually. It, was, it, it contained too, too many surprises. The, the, the center of power, I think, was still uh, in a way um, uh, the same. So, as you know, in the Netherlands, uh, we have uh, a government comprising several parties, so a coalition government, and they have a majority in the lower house. Uh, actually, the four parties that formed the, uh, the previous administration, the previous government, uh, still have a majority. So, in, in a way, yeah, all people felt... Um, uh, yeah, well, this is probably uh, to, to simply yeah, continue and there will be a fourth Rutte administration. Maybe so that, that was that was yeah, nothing much surprising. There, there were some things uh, that were actually uh, maybe surprising. Uh, so one one element is, uh, and, and of course, probably that is for, for Americans really hard to comprehend, but the uh, we, we currently have, uh, as a result of the elections on March 17, we have 17 parties in the lower house. Uh, and that is uh, unprecedented. That is really, uh, we, we haven't seen that before. That, of course, yeah, as you can imagine, that has really practical implications. Because, yeah, if you were to be uh, the prime minister, you would do um, a, a, an address to the lower house. Then, of course, 17 um, uh, leaders of the political parties yeah, can, can respond to that. So I think we will see really long sessions to come a few uh, four years. And uh, yeah, another element is that, uh, for instance, um, uh, we, we hadn't seen before that um, the number of seats, the block uh, to the right of the Liberal Party, of Mark Rutte, which you can probably uh, uh, capture by a phrase like populist parties, um, um, that block was not um, as big as today. Uh, and that is really, I think, another big um, uh, surprising element coming out of the elections on uh, March 17th. But yeah, that, that was only um, the election. Uh, now, of course, uh, what is next? Awesome. Uh, great overview. Definitely want to touch and have you expand a little bit on Prime Minister Ruta having been elected for a fourth term. Seems like he's been quite a formidable prime minister. Uh, but beforehand, why don't you share with our listeners, so what's next? What is everyone watching with regard to the result of the elections? What's the next shoe to drop? We know it takes some time for the coalition governments to coalesce and settle. So can you expand a little bit on that? Yeah, so, so, so first, uh, how the process works. So typically what happens is that the winner of the election, so the, the, the largest party, they, they take the initiative to actually uh, start negotiations, start 
the talks with other parties to see whether there is a, a coalition um, uh, feasible to be formed. Uh, uh, so what happened um, after uh, March 17 is indeed that the Liberal Party of um, uh, the, the incumbent Prime Minister Mark Rutte took, took this initiative. And now it gets a little weird, and you probably wouldn't uh, believe it if, if it didn't happen. But the, uh, So actually what, what happens is that the winning party, so they, they appoint a, an envoy. This time around, actually what happened is that they uh, appointed two envoys, so um, uh, someone from the winning party and also uh, someone representing the runner-up, the Liberal Democrats of D66. And so they started to have negotiations, or while talks, I should say, not even yet uh, negotiations. Uh, so every single leader of a political party was invited to uh, share his or her thoughts what should be uh, the new government and, and then what happened is that a member of cabinet uh, of the cabinet of ministers actually tested positive on covid well that can happen uh, but of course yeah uh, because the the cabinet of ministers was still meeting in person uh, other members of cabinet uh, of the cabinet of ministers had to be uh, tested as well now that happens nothing nothing big yet but one of the um, actually the envoys one of the two envoys uh, had to be tested as well because they actually, of course, had to meet with with these leaders as well, and and, and tested positive, uh, and and just as a, in a human re- response and a human reaction, what happened is she she grabbed her stuff, materials, uh, walked away, uh, walked out of the meeting she was at, and then on the way to her car, actually a, a photographer um, made a, a photo. Of, of the documents that she was um, uh, carrying with her. What happened, uh, uh, if you really zoomed in, what of course happened because journalists do their job. Yeah, people could read notes from these uh, really uh, secret talks about uh, uh, potential new governments. And, uh, and there was really, of course, there were some items not so much uh, contentious, but there were really contentious uh, uh, things on there. And, and that really sparked a dynamic uh, never seen before and like i said you could we, we could easily if we would make it we make it a series and we would put it on netflix it would be a definitely uh, definitely would be a hit but uh naya, so what what happened there is uh, actually there was one sentence that was referring to two members of parliament who actually um raised this whole scandal that i referred to before you may remember this uh, Childcare benefit scandal that actually uh, was the impetus for the um, uh, the past administration to to step down or to resign. But one of these that was a reference to one of these members of parliament. Actually, we, we need to find him a new position because he, he's uh, too much of a uh, an issue and he's raising too many uh, critical questions to us, the government. And and then of course the question was who, who was saying that? Come on, seriously, the parliament is simply doing their work, and, and now a, a a member of a new potential government is now asking, oh well, let, let's get rid of him. And then the question was who, who was saying that? And then of course yeah, the uh, the parliament was on a on a roll, and now uh, and what happened? You you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it. It became apparent it was the prime minister himself, uh, and and that came out only the day after he had said it wasn't him. So he he lied and uh, to Parliament, which uh, was well, 10, 15 years ago. That was the sin, not today. <laughs> uh, now it, it really matters whether it was intentional or not intentional. Uh, he he actually said in Parliament, I I remembered wrongly, but um, uh, so that that is where that is the mess where we're currently in. Because uh, like I said, the, the dynamic is currently some political party said, I I don't want to work with this guy. He he lied to Parliament. So what what is this about? And uh, now actually, and that is uh, including one of the parties who were who was in the in a former coalition. So 
Now, now we're in this impasse where some parties are saying, I'm not, I'm not going to work with this guy. Uh, and now a, a new envoy actually explored, okay, what to do next? And he issued his report last week. And of course, one of the things he said, no, yeah, uh, there needs to be a new culture and, and they shouldn't be lying uh, to parliament. And we should be actually championing uh, those members of parliament who are raising really critical questions. And Rutte now is saying, of course, uh, well, you're absolutely right. And uh, I'll work on that. The, uh, but yeah, like I said, we're currently in that impasse. So the process is uh, typically you start talks and, and explore uh, potential governments, um, uh, coalitions. Uh, but due to this really small event, uh, but with a huge uh, impact to the whole process, uh, we're, we're now currently in this uh, situation. And, uh, and it's really to be seen how it evolves uh, from here. I think uh, that there will, it's very likely at the end of the day, there will be a fourth um, um, Rutte administration. But uh, yeah, theoretically, yeah, if some parties continue to say, no, we, we will not work with this guy, then uh, yeah, eventually, if, if you really think it through, then of course, there could well be new elections. But uh, uh, all I can say, Maurice, uh, stay tuned. That's pretty juicy. A lot of uh, palace intrigue there and, and definitely didn't lend itself to a... Uh a planned smooth transition after the elections, if you will. So thanks for expanding on that. And and you teed it up nicely for, for the next question. I think we want to hear your perspectives on the prime minister himself, uh, having had such a long tenure. You know, why, why has he been reelected now so many times? What have been his strengths? How has he positioned the Netherlands geopolitically on the, on the world stage? If you could just expand on Ruta, he's really the face, obviously, in many ways, uh, internationally as the prime minister would love to just hear your thoughts on on him yeah absolutely um, um good question the uh he he's an interesting guy the um maybe just um some, some background on uh, who he is uh, also for the listeners the um so yeah he's in his um, early 50s historian by trade um after uh, obtaining his degree in um, in history he worked actually at unilever in in hr but I think it's worthwhile. When he was at university already, he um, he was part of the the youth uh, arm of the Liberal Party, and uh, what is more, he was actually leading it for three consecutive years when he was in his early twenties. Uh, so we're now talking uh, what is it, uh, late eighties, early nineties, and um, and he already at the time was uh, on screen at the television, uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, outlining his his, his views and uh, what the, what a country should look like in the 20, 30 years uh, time, and I think that is um, uh, already kind of transpiring his ambition to um, uh, to be a politician one day. Now and and that is what happened. So, like I said, he um, after graduating he joined Unilever and uh, worked in the HR department for some years. And and in two thousand and two he um, he became um, a state secretary uh, for social affairs. And uh, in 2006, he uh, actually moved to uh, the lower house uh, to lead uh, the liberals in the, in the lower house itself. And, and he won the election in 2010 uh, to, uh, and, and he became the first um, liberal uh, prime minister ever. Uh, no, not, not ever, but at least in, in 100 years time. Uh, and of course, that is what he uh, still is. So he is a... Um, some people actually refer to him, okay, well, he, he might be a single, uh, but he's married to Dutch politics. And uh, so for most of his life, he has been involved now in Dutch politics, uh, either because he was so much interested uh, as, as a adolescent um, or even later on uh, as, as a grown up, to put it like that, he is uh, now uh, active in, in Dutch politics. So 
Then, then maybe ask, so why? What is he like? He he's a he's a an approachable and an easygoing guy. And uh, if you ask me, indeed, the um, so what is really the explanation or um, for for uh, you know, that he is now a, a prime minister and probably will be leading a fourth uh, coalition government, but. He's he's really flexible, and um, and some of course you you can be cynical about it, but uh, yeah, what he does really well, I think he reads side guys uh, the the time really well. So what is really uh, in in the uh, what are people thinking about? Um, and so it also uh, means that now he made some comments in two thousand and six when he was leading the liberals. Uh, at the time he said, no, yeah, I think uh, we need a strong government, right? just as a, as an anecdote. In 2010, when he was a prime minister, said, "No, no, we, we need a, a, a small as um, uh, uh, possible government, and uh, shouldn't have too much uh, of a role at all." Uh, and now he's saying again, "No, no, we need a strong government." And I think it's simply an example how he is actually you know, maneuvering through uh, because yeah, during the past decade of so we saw this pendulum um, uh, going from left to right in terms of thinking about uh, the size and the role of the government and i think that that is what he does well so he he, he really swings nicely maneuvers well uh, and listen yeah understands where where where, where the thinking of people um, is and, and that is what he uh, is addressing in his uh, in his politics as well yeah, and i think that is also another uh, if, if you if you think about it, so what did he really well in terms of achievements? I think he is a he has been a really strong um, a crisis manager. Uh, of course, the current situation uh, in COVID. I think he's also doing a, a a fine job there, and that is what 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 people really appreciate. So let's try to wrap this up a little bit and make it a little bit uh, more direct, just because of time. So really, for for Aegon, obviously being uh, based in the Netherlands. Uh, with its Trans-America arm in the U.S., what, what impacts do you think the elections have going forward that you can somewhat try to predict for our business and our customers? I, I think it is fair to expect that the, uh, the, um, uh, the, the incumbent coalition government uh, will, will stay in power. Uh, and by that, and then from that, I think we, we can also learn that probably there will not be too many changes in terms of policies. Um, uh, the fourth party who will, so currently we have three parties uh, making um, uh, up a, 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 a good deal of the of, of the lower house, and we and they will probably need a fourth party. And uh, the fourth party in the, in the current um, coalition actually said, okay, well, we don't want to work with Rutte. Um, uh, so it is kind of dependent who will be joining the, the other three, the engine block, because that might cause the, the coalition agreement to tilt a little, what, little bit to, to the left. Um, uh, but I think, roughly speaking, uh, I think it's fair to expect that uh, we will see a continuation of, of the policies. For the, the biggest challenge, of course, as uh, everywhere else, uh, will be the recovery of the economy. So I think, uh, regardless of the, uh, the composition of the coalition, uh, that will be the main challenge. I think it, it is fair to ex- uh, to say that we should be anticipate a little bit more of a, a green agenda, if that makes any sense. Although uh, European Union is is absolutely uh, very uh, aggressive and progressive in this, um, it could well be that the Netherlands just will be saying, okay, we will simply do what Europeans say. But it could also mean that they uh, will go beyond uh, that. So a bit more of green, I would say. Another um, important in the determinant is uh, who will get the Ministry of Finance. And uh, usually, as of course, the biggest party will get the prime minister's seat, the second largest party will get the Ministry of Finance. And that is um, uh, the Liberal Democrats of uh, D66. And they are typically really pragmatic. 
uh, and good to work with. So I um, that is what I anticipate. So I think there's a great deal for Avon to uh, to continue to uh, convey our mission and also uh, to explain how we can contribute to uh, to this recovery by through our uh, investments, but also through our products and, and helping people to um, achieve a lifetime of financial security. Thanks, Sebrin. Um I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Dutch monarchy and its significance within the country. We they just celebrated King's Day a couple of weeks ago. So is it is it very much akin to to what Americans and how Americans view the monarchy in the UK, or is it a little bit of difference? Is there any coordination between um, the standing government and and the monarchy, or their coordinations, or is there really a firewall there? No, not at all, not at all. The it should be said that uh, over time, the relationship between uh, the politicians and, and, and the royal family uh, changed. Uh, so I think it is fair to say that the role of the royal house uh, was larger and, and bigger um, decades ago. Actually, in 2014, they made um, some, some changes. So, so what is the situation today? Uh, whereas uh, the royal house had actually a formal role in um, in, a, in in forming a coalition, they actually had to appoint an envoy, for instance, and and then the king uh, at the time, the queen, would uh, would talk to the political leaders. No, that's no longer there. Uh, it really resides now with with the lower house. Uh, so the, the the roles is smaller today than it was, uh, like I said, decades ago. But still, the king is the chairman of the uh, the council of state, which is a an advising body to the government. Another uh, element there, and I think that is also something to be aware of, that uh, the cabinet of ministers is responsible for the acts of uh, by the king. Yeah? So whenever I don't know the well, actually it happened, the king went on um, on holiday, wanted to go on holiday to Greece in in a, in a lockdown period, to put it like that, and then actually the prime minister had to come to parliament to explain what the king was doing. So so there you see an, an official and a formal relationship still. But also informally, there um, every single week the prime minister has a catch up with the king, and then the king gets an update on what is happening. So, and formally, in, in short, the um, the role is absolutely uh, smaller today than it was uh, decades ago. But informally, the king uh, absolutely understands where things are going and uh, and has a um, and, and understands sooner and earlier in the process than uh, than we do as uh, as a people to put it like that. So there is uh, still an informal, uh, and other than that, it is mostly uh, ceremonial and uh, symbolic, and uh, and people uh, love it. Super helpful, Sebrin. We got to cut it off here. Thanks so much for shining a good spotlight uh, on what happened there on March 17th. A lot more to come, and uh, thanks for sharing your expertise, your time, and uh, really appreciate the conversation. Friends America Resources Incorporated is an Aegon company that is affiliated with various companies with include, but are not limited to, insurance companies and broker-dealers. Transamerica Resources, Inc. does not offer insurance products or securities. The information provided is for educational purposes only, should not be considered as insurance, securities, ERISA, tax, investment, legal, medical, or financial advice or guidance. Please consult your personal independent professionals for answers to your specific questions.